Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts chapter 11, looking at the story of Barnabas, Saul, and Agabus at Antioch, calling us to use our talents and giftings for the work God has for us. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you're inspired by the ideas. Well, three years ago, guys, I promoted our national sales manager to president to run our company. And uh, my purpose was twofold, was to create a strong management team that could run the company in case I died or had a serious disease or injury. And second was to free me up to start the process of forming a community of Christian men here in Indianapolis. I've had this desire to do this for a long time. And so uh, that was a pivotal moment when I had a guy that was available to take over the day-to-day leadership of the company. And so it was critical that that happened in order for Heart of a Man to get off the ground. So that move could not have happened though without that person being promoted to president. So I can say with absolute certainty over my years of working with God, he always seems to bring the right people at the right time when he wants you to move ahead with his work. I've experienced that in so many different ways, and this is another example of that. And tonight, there's two pivotal moments in this story. First, we see Peter finish breaking down the exclusion of Gentiles from the new Christian church in Jerusalem. Peter is the key person in that transformation. Then we see one of the disciples named Barnabas recruit Saul to take the leadership of the global church. This change was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit and was critical for the church to make one of its greatest, most significant growth steps. My prayer tonight is that you'll be inspired watching the Holy Spirit place men in new roles, using their talents and spiritual gifts for God's ordained work. And I pray you will have a more fervent desire to continue to grow your life plan so the work you do for the Lord starts to become your passion inside or outside of your current job. So last week, Peter had just brought Cornelius and his family to a place where these Gentiles were all baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Peter gets attacked when he returns to Jerusalem by the circumcised Jewish Christians for going into the homes to have a meal with uncircumcised Gentile families. And Peter defends his actions. And the result of his defense was silencing his accusers. He caused them to glorify God and he facilitated the entry of Gentiles into this new Christian church. So let me highlight three key ideas in this little bit of the story. First, we see Peter's experience and how he learns the key elements of following God's plan. Second, we see how Peter tackles these religious norms and he tries to break down how we inhibit the salvation of other people from other cultural groups when we let those norms run the show. And then we see Peter's courage as a model for us to help bring Christians into unity. So let's quickly review how Peter followed God's will. First, Peter had a vision that he thought was from God. He wasn't sure. He was kind of wondering what it was about, but he thought it was from God. And next, it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit, speaking directly to him. And then the true meaning was clarified by complete strangers. And think about that. I'm gonna go talk to complete strangers for clarity on my vision. Next, the Holy Spirit baptized a large group of people to execute the plan God had put in his head. And then finally, Peter recalled the words of Jesus foretelling the baptism of believers by the Holy Spirit. 
So now let's apply that to our life. When you sense God is on the move, what do you do? It's hard, isn't it? So one of the first things we see from Peter is we should be praying. That's what he was doing, wasn't he? Even when he was hungry, he was praying and he was praying and God activated the Holy Spirit inside of him for to, to see this vision. So prayer, he got into prayer, right? And he's asking the Holy Spirit to come speak to him. And then we see Christians help him understand, right? This is what's so cool. I love this. These other people come into his life he doesn't understand. Some of them were believers at that time in God, but not really Christians. For us, we've got Christians around us, you guys. We have other believers in our life. We can seek them out and tell them what we're hearing and get their input into what we see going on and ask for their understanding. Get counsel. And then we can watch for God working in the lives of people around us. On that particular mission, you sense God moving in you, start looking to see for people that are moving in that space. Watch them, see what they're doing. Because in that, you will start to connect. And lastly, study God's word, right? Peter remembered the words of Jesus when he said, they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He remembered those words. He knew what Jesus said. That is a particularly significant place for us. Being in God's word, knowing what he says will help you define direction, understand purpose. So it's a guess, but I would say most of us don't follow very many of those steps when we make a significant decision, do we? I'll confess, I certainly don't. I'll give you an example. I bought some land in Zionsville in June this year. I'd been waiting to build a new house for a number of years now, quite frankly. I was able to sell my other home. I bought a smaller home. I was ready to get staged. I bought this land on a new golf course. Land came on the market, I really liked it. I'm like, that's it. So I moved quickly. I really didn't spend much time following any of these steps from Peter. I just felt God had given me the money I needed, so I moved ahead. Yep, that was all I did. At the moment I signed the closing documents, I had that feeling, unsettled about the decision. I've pumped the brakes since then, you guys. I haven't done anything towards building a new house. Something in my heart still doesn't feel right. I can't tell you the end of the story yet, but I'm certain of this. I'm gonna take a year and I'm gonna wait because I'm gonna wait for God because I really do wanna hear him take me through the Peter process and get me out of the Bill Moore play. I've committed to wait a year, so stand by. I'll tell you how the story unfolds. What decision of yours needs God's help? What process do you plan to follow? What's the play you're gonna run, guys? Peter in this story reminds us of the key principle in the book of Acts. God wants all people to be saved, and we're called to reach all people, setting aside our Christian disciplines at times as a yardstick for new believers. He may not be calling us to stop doing what we do as Christian disciplines, but he may be asking us to lower those expectations for people who don't know Jesus the way we do. In Romans 15, seven, Paul says, you are to accept Christians who live under different cultural norms. He further explains that we must oftentimes stop expecting people who do not grow up in the church to follow the same spiritual disciplines we follow. Those disciplines may actually keep them from ever wanting to be part of the church. For example, I know many men who show no interest in Jesus because they see Christians as hypocrites. So I've asked some of those guys, what do you mean by that? And they've told me, you know, Christians don't swear. 
and they quote their Bibles when they think you need advice, but they never share how they fail and when they're afraid or how much they hate someone. Yet, you don't have to look very hard. You'll see all of those things in them just as plain as day. They hide behind their Christian behaviors as if we can't see the real person. I don't wanna be a Christian if I have to hide behind the real me. This is what guys tell me. And guys, you know, it gets worse when we become even more familiar with our faith because, our faith because we, we just don't wanna look bad. We don't wanna fail. We don't wanna be afraid because we think that somehow it makes us less Christian. So we hide it even more. We quote more Bible verses. We keep a spotless vocabulary, attend church like monks and act happy. While those disciplines are good to follow without vulnerability, they can make people feel disconnected from you and they run from Jesus, not towards him. So what spiritual disciplines have become what you hide behind that may be a stumbling block for other men. Finally, Peter models for us the courage to confront these Jewish Christians. This courage drove the results Jesus prayed would occur, that his followers would be one, just as he and the Father are one. God promised Abraham 4,000 years before that time that through him the whole world would be blessed. Through the Jews, all men would have access to God. Jesus and his church would now become available to all men. And why? Because the courage of Peter helped fulfill God's promise. That's courage, you guys. That's what it looks like. Right now, guys, the American media is skillfully trying to drive a wedge between us in this room. The media gets rich through dividing American, Americans using race, political parties, and a pandemic. I can tell you the time I spend with my Christian brothers, you guys, no matter where we are on BLM, Trump, Supreme Court, masks, shutdowns, whatever the topic is, when I spend time with you guys and we're really talking about what we find in the scriptures, there's a bond and a love that just goes way beyond all of that. And we just seem to be able to set all that aside. But you know, it takes some really good stinking courage to stand in a group of people who are myopically focused on trashing the other side to humbly say, you know, I think we ought to change the subject and focus on the good we can do for humanity instead of hating the other side. I'll tell you what, that takes some courage to say that right now, doesn't it? So what do you need to bring humble courage to this week? And maybe more specifically, how can you bring Jesus when you hear the divisive media being repeated in a conversation, how can you bring him to that moment? Courage. Now we see the story of Christianity take a pivot from Peter being the primary leader of the new church to Saul. Peter's escape from prison in our next lesson will be the last time we see any historical account of Peter. Saul will take center stage as the primary leader of the globalization of the church. Saul will plant churches all over Syria, Israel, Turkey, Greece, and ultimately in Rome. He will hand off leadership of each of those churches to other men as well. This change of leadership that constantly went on and continues to go on in the Christian kingdom should help us realize that as servants of Jesus, there will be probably a time when we will need to step down to allow room for the next people to be chosen, for the next people to lead. 
I recall when I stepped down after eight years of leading the men's BSF class in Chicago. It was really hard, you guys. I mean, we've probably got 150 guys in here. We had 500 guys that would meet every Monday night. I loved those guys. I knew all of them. I knew all the leaders. We had 54 leaders, 120 kids in the class. We'd been there eight years. Man, it was, I love those guys, man. I still think about it. I got a picture of all of them. I loved them, loved them, loved them. But I knew the Holy Spirit wanted another man to sit in that position that I was in so he could grow as much as I had grown. And as I reflect back, if I had not stepped down, this class wouldn't exist. And the work we did in Africa for 13 years would have never happened. And all the, all the, all the faith that I brought to the workplace during that time probably would have not happened as well. The Bible makes it clear there is a season for everything. It's important to move when it's time to move. So where might God be calling you to step down and take a new role? Many Christians fled to Antioch after Stephen was killed and Saul was tracking them down to be imprisoned. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch to share Jesus with the Greeks and many turned to the Lord. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a luxurious and vital Roman trade center. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time with a very, very diverse culture, very sophisticated city streets, extremely luxurious. The culture was Greek and it was Roman. The Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to Antioch when they heard about the church growth going on there. No doubt concerned about the potential negative influence of that pagan non-Jewish culture. Barnabas did a great job of managing those issues and created more growth. Barnabas was a Levite, a priest from Cyprus. His original name was Joseph. The apostles changed his name because he was a super encourager. And the Bible records his generosity, his faithfulness, and his spirit-filled character. In Acts 9, we see him bring Saul into the Jerusalem core team when they were scared to death of that guy. He had a unique gift to see in Saul what others did not see. He was also very courageous to be willing to be around Saul after watching him actively hunt down and imprison his Christian brothers prior to his conversion. After working in Antioch for a short time, Barnabas went on a long journey north to Tarsus to bring Saul to Antioch. Barnabas knew Saul was uniquely equipped to connect the dots of the Old Testament to Jesus. He could see the gifts God had given Saul and knew he was incredibly qualified to help teach these worldly Christians in Antioch. The result was the church grew in knowledge. Did you catch that? It said the church grew in knowledge and became the center of Christianity for hundreds of years at that point, as well as branding that group of people as Christians. That's where we got our name, guys. Man, that's good, Barnabas. And then we see this little snippet of a guy, Agabus, directed by the Holy Spirit, foretold of a great famine. This year-long teaching done by Saul set the stage for this teaching from Agabus. These guys had a godly view of money because they spent a year listening to him talk about what God wanted of them. And that set their heart on fire when they heard about the brothers in Judea that were gonna be going through famine and they wanted to donate. Few key ideas from this part of the story. God chooses the leaders, guys, not us and not them, God chooses the leaders. Mature believers need to help new believers explore and utilize their gifts. And third, generosity is an outcome 
of a mind instructed in the truths of God and applied to our life. Saul was raised and educated to be a Pharisee. He was an expert of the Old Testament. Saul was a super Jew. He excelled at keeping every law to perfection. When God blinded and converted Saul, he helped him see how every single word of the Old Testament was written to point to Jesus. Saul was uniquely qualified to help Jews and Gentiles understand Jesus as a Jewish man, as the son of God, as the son of man, and as the true one Messiah. And Barnabas saw these one-of-a-kind talents and skills given by God to Saul. Saul, who will be renamed Paul, will ultimately travel over 10,000 miles and plant churches all around the Mediterranean. He will write 13 of the 27 manuscripts that make up our New Testament. And because his spiritual training after his salvation came directly from the resurrected Jesus, it has become a significant part of our theological foundation. While Paul was given these unique gifts, it's critical to see in Acts that God was picking the leaders. God was picking the leaders. The Bible makes it crystal clear. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God working in his apostles helped pick those new leaders. Paul teaches us in his letter to the Roman church, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God and what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. How stressed out are you right now over who leads our country and who will win the presidency? We are called to do our part, gentlemen, we are. Vote. And then we are called to let God do what he does. God will judge the bad leaders in his time and in his way. We need to trust him. Let him do his job. Barnabas was a change agent in the church. He saw and saw what no one else saw and helped position Saul in a place where his skills could have maximum impact. That was incredibly wise. I believe the church is filled with young men right now, eager to serve and ready to have an impact. And a lot of them are in here right now, man. This is a good group of dudes, man, I'll tell you. We need to be looking around like Barnabas with that Holy Spirit mindset seeking out these younger guys. We need to help them discover their gifts and help them start to utilize those gifts. One of the six core strategies of Heart of a Man is life coaching. We wanna build into our organization a way to help all these guys. All of us work together, stay connected. We envision men helping men so that we can help each other through every stage of life. Nobody's got the corner on any one experience and not everybody connects with one guy perfectly. But if a guy can access a host of other men that can coach him at certain times in his life, we can empower each other guys to make those next big steps and especially that next generation. So life coaching is a critical part of what Heart of Man wants to develop. We wanna connect that network. So what do you see in a guy that he may not see in himself that you can help incubate. Is there a guy like that around you right now? And you're looking at him, you're like, man, I see a lot of talent in this guy. Well, if you do, help him incubate it. Don't just look at it, help him. Encourage him, talk to him, point him in a direction, connect him with other people. Help other men incubate the talent God has put in them. 
I would never be doing what I'm doing if a guy named Dr. Chuck Musfelt wouldn't have said to me one day playing golf, I really think you could run a men's Bible study class, a big one. And I looked at him and said, man, you have no idea what you're talking about, dude. I just pack starch and bags and uh, that's all, all I do, man. I got a company I run, that's all I don't wanna do. I got some kids at home, I'm not, I don't want any of that. And Chuck kept saying, you're wrong, man. You're wrong, I see a lot more in you than that. And because he pushed me and he believed in me, he believed in me, I got to the place where I did that. But it took another man believing in me. Guys, you've got that in you too. Look around you, believe in another guy, help him. Give him a, a foot up, you can do it. The last idea from the story tonight is this generosity shown by the Gentile Christian sending money to the Jewish Christians in what I thought was an ironic twist of fate caused by a famine. Again, some obscure guy named Agabus, used by God, predicts a famine. It just kind of comes out of nowhere in the scripture. And that prediction had a very significant impact in saving many lives in Jerusalem. Guys, look at this. God uses people for small tasks that have huge impacts. Again, you gotta remember and respond when the Holy Spirit is nudging you, the impact can be huge. The move may be small, the impact may be big. Take the nudge, trust it, run with it, see what happens. It might be unbelievable. The key idea for me in this story though is the impact of a year of teaching from Saul on the hearts and minds of those new believers in Antioch. When we immerse ourselves in God's word for a period of time, our views of things change. And think about this, these guys are in one of the most influential places in the world. Money is a big stinking deal. And this guy spent a year being influenced under the teaching of Paul and their minds change. The way they view money changes and how do you know? They're presented with an opportunity to help the Jews. The Jews back in Judea who kinda don't like them. To help them out with money and they gladly do it. They willingly send their money back to these guys because they wanna help them. What happened to them? Their mind changed about money. Can you imagine if the Bible can change how you feel about money? what it can do for you in every aspect of your life? I'm telling you, it can and it does. We have made Bible study foundational to the heart of a man for that exact reason. The Bible changes us, look, unlike anything else in the world. Paul wrote in Hebrews four, for the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates, it even divides soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's what the Bible does, the word of God. Man, I promise you, if you stay committed to the Bible, study every week for the rest of your life and be completely devoted to it, you will be a different man. I'm telling you, you will. Just stay in it. You don't gotta be great, just stay in the game, right? Nothing in my life has even come close to having a bigger impact on me than the Bible study working with other guys. I can give you at least five Bible stories right off the top of my head that have major impacts on my life and the people around me. So please believe me, if you commit tonight in your heart that you will never let a year go by without being in a men's study, I can assure you God will honor your obedience. And please guys, never diminish studying with other men. You will never find a better way to talk about the stuff that men need to talk about than you can in a group like this. Trust me, there's no better way. And guys, we got a lot to talk about, man. So what change do you need to make 
so that Bible study with other men is always part of your life. Always, always. Significant movements of God in you, in your home, in your workplace, and in your community start with you. They start with you. God used a guy named Agabus. Get a load of this. You know what it means? Locust. Think about this. A guy named Locust tells people about a famine that's going to happen. Locusts destroy crops. God's got a crazy cool sense of humor, doesn't he? I'm going to have the locusts go tell people about a famine. He's hilarious. I look forward to meeting Agabus in heaven so I can ask how he knew his vision about that famine was legitimate. How many dreams have you had and you woke up and you thought maybe that was God, but you were like, nah, maybe that was that stupid movie I watched with Arnold Schwarzenegger before I went to bed. Guys, God has a unique role for every man and the kingdom of God grows every year because men like you accept the opportunity, small or large, to work alongside Jesus using your talents and gifts. So I'm praying you'll be inspired to jump in. I was reading numerous stories of people who climbed Mount Everest this week. And what struck me was how many of these people described that empty feeling that accompanied the moment they summited the world's highest peak, one of the most difficult things you can do. And they get to the top and they're completely empty, like not physically empty, but emotionally like, I got nothing. Like this is, this is it. There's a psychological term called arrival fallacy that describes the disappointment often, that often accompanies the achievement of a significant goal. And I started thinking about that and I started thinking about all the times I had achieved some of those goals and I thought that's exactly how I felt. All of my workplace successes were accompanied with that same feeling. I mean all of them. Most of you know what I'm talking about. I believe that feeling is manifested because most of our goals and successes are centered around ourselves. Men doing the work of God has this work he's got. He's got work for you. It's for your lifetime. And it fulfills this deep desire that you have for significance. It fills that. When you succeed in this work, those winning moments do not leave you feeling empty because you have often helped and loved someone other than yourself. Working for Jesus feeds your soul. Your soul. 